Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, come let us adore Him. It's a wonderful, great Christmas carol, great hymn, The Faith We Sing. And it's the uh, really the title or topic of our sermon this morning is Adoring Jesus. We're going to take another three-part series and look at our church mission statement, make sure we understand what we're all agreeing to, what our focus is. If you're not familiar with the church mission statement, it's posted all over the church, and it's on the back of your bulletin every Sunday. It's this logo that Angie Wiggins, our communications director, put together so beautifully. I love this chalkboard motif. Uh, All, all, just a simple word, all, something we can remember. We are all about Jesus. We, corporate, the whole church, are all about Jesus. Simple to remember, the A-L-L is an acronym, and we'll take each word in the acronym on uh, the next three weeks. I was talking to Nathan, like, it's so hard to preach topically. I don't know how topical preachers keep it up 52 Sundays a year. So much easier to take a passage of Scripture and exposit it, to explain uh, the text that way. But it's good to take a break sometimes and do these these topical sermons. So we did the uh, the Matthew 18 sermon series, which actually was an exposition of Scripture, but it was also topical, how to talk to one another about sin. It's going to happen. We're all sinners. We're going to need to know how to talk about it. Then we went into Thanksgiving series uh, and learned that God is worthy to be praised just for who He is and thanked for what he's done. And the surprise that God, in his word, instructs us to thank him for one another. We're so used to thanking each other after things we do for one another, but God wants us primarily to be thankful to him for one another, especially for our salvation in in Christ, our fellowship, that we, this is our forever family here. Uh, Got introduced to that uh, term, again, watching some HGTV, people looking for their forever house. Well, I have a forever house. It's up there. Yeah. And it never needs remodeling or redecorating or, or anything. It's, it's done. Can't wait to see it. This is my forever family. We're going to live there forever. We should get to, get to know how to love one another and praise Jesus together and adore Him together. It's what we'll be doing for all eternity. On the back of your bulletin, though, if I could just direct your attention there, we try to make uh, this mission statement something that's uh, easy to remember, something that will direct all that we do as a church whenever we're saying maybe a new program, maybe a new ministry, or maybe uh, we're getting sidetracked with things. This brings us back to who we're called to be. And we designed this with God's Word in mind because it's His church. We're His people. He adopted us, as Matt Sheridan told us this morning. He owns us. I'm glad He owns us. He's Lord. We're not. He's Savior. We're not. He gets to determine what this body is all about and what we do. If we just said we're all about Jesus, though, and said nothing more, we understand in this day and age that can mean just about anything. Lots of people are walking around saying, I'm all about Jesus. They might say, Jesus is my friend, he's my homeboy, Jesus is my, my sidekick, you know, um, all kinds of ideas about Jesus. But we want our ideas to be his ideas. And so we can't just leave the mission statement at all about Jesus. In fact, the mainline denominational churches, when they tend to go liberal, tend to say things like, well, we're just about Jesus. Well, we're just here to love. Well, define that for me. And you better use your Bible to define it. And that's what will keep us from going down the path of of liberalism, relativism. So we're going to go a little deeper than that, and we say, well... We are all about Jesus means we will adore Jesus by learning from Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. So so we get a little bit more specific there. But even that leaves the door open for all kinds of interpretations. So we take it another level, and that's not on the back of your bulletin, 
Um, but it is on other places. It's on the website. It's, uh, it's on the, the posters, foyer, and the uh, church office entrance. And I think on the back of the directory, and Angie could tell you probably that there's 25 other places I don't know about where we break... <laughs> It's on, okay, it's on an insert, and Angie's here, and there it is on the blue paper. So, what Nathan and I are going to do uh, in the next three weeks, he's going to take learn, and then I'll come back uh, for for love. Sounds funny, I'll come back for love. Won't we all? Um, We're going to stick to these four points in each of the sermons. Number one, we're going to define the statement so we all understand what we mean by the statement. We're going to define the significance. Why is that important? Why did we choose that word? There's so many words we could have chosen. Why these three words? Define the stumbling blocks. What will get in the way of us adoring Jesus, learning from Jesus, loving like Jesus? I bet you already know the answer. It's another three-letter word. Right, sin. Yeah. And has I in the middle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too much I in the middle, that's, that's the problem. Uh, and number four, we'll define the solution or the strategy uh, as a church, how we will help one another and help others around the world and in our community overcome these stumbling blocks so that we can all better adore Jesus, better learn from Jesus and better love Jesus and love like Jesus. We'll start with adore today and define adoration. Adoration is worship. We pick the word adoration, uh, one, because if you're going to have an acronym that spells out a word, you need a vowel, right? So, um, So there's practical reasons. But we also think that the word worship has unfortunately, gathered too much baggage with it. To many, worship means singing and nothing more. We say our worship music. When I said there's people out there who say I'm all about Jesus, there are quite a few people in our culture who that pretty much means I listen to Caleb or I listen to my, my Christian music. That is their, their, uh, their whole Christian life. Worship is certainly not, not anything less than singing songs of adoration and praise to Jesus, but it is so much more. And so coming together Sunday morning for singing is not only what worship looks like. Um, Read through this book and many others, but this is the one I wanted to highlight this morning. Actually, I want to highlight this book. If you don't have a copy, you should get one. We'll give you one for free, and we'll teach you how to read it and obey it. But... um, This book by John MacArthur, my wife said, you need to preach at least one sermon where you don't mention his name. And that was the last sermon I preached. So, I did it, hon. This man's written almost 400 books now. This one is the one that's been in print the longest. Over 30 years. This is the the 2012 edition. People keep buying this book. It is a hallmark book from his ministry. It is the best I've read on worship other than this one, but sometimes I need this to help me understand this, which is why you're here this morning hearing the preaching the Word, why you go to ABF groups, uh, small groups, uh, why you listen to sermons at home, sermons online, and you read good books from good authors who are, are reading the text and interpreting the text the same way that we do. So I highly recommend you get this book. It's on Amazon or CBD. It's $12 new. And, of course, all the used editions you can get in a bidding war for somebody's old copy. Uh, but I'd really like for you to be familiar with this book. Worship. We say in our mission statement that it is the believer's wholehearted response of all that they are. Mind, emotions, will, body, the, your whole, your total being, your response to whom God is, to who God is, and to what He says and does for us as revealed in the Bible. 
In order to adore God, we needed Him to reveal Himself to us. He did through His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Which is why we're focusing our adoration on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, has established the Son here for us as New Testament saints as the object of our adoration. We'll speak more about that later. Uh, One person was concerned last year that we were, the mission statement was focusing on Jesus in exclusion of the other two members of the Trinity. And uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. We also say, though, that specifically on Sunday mornings, we adore Jesus through uh, music and praise and scripture reading, preaching, prayer, giving, baptism, Lord's Supper, and all the ministry that goes on around us, the ministry that's going on right now. The Von Rudens in the sound booth uh, making me sound good and changing the slides, and all the Sunday school teachers, and so much goes on. And that is worship and adoration as well. But certainly... uh, Gathering on the Lord's day as His people. All that goes into Sunday morning worship. And some would say, even in the church, that um, that this is a waste of resources. Too much goes into the Sunday morning service. I would say, not enough. Read the Scriptures. God is clear about wanting to be worshipped, how He wanted the temple built, what it should look like, who the priest should be, how they should cleanse themselves before they come and and lead worship, who the singers would be, skilled singers, what everyone should wear, what their their, uh, garments should look like. And yet, New Covenant saints, all of that uh, has been replaced in a sense, but we can look to that as a guiding principle, a regulative principle that God is worthy to be praised in ways that maybe the rest of the world would say, I can't believe they spend all this money and all the decorations and and, uh, what they pay the pastors and what goes into the Sunday morning worship. What are those people doing? Well, the fact that it seems ridiculous to unbelievers tells us that what we're doing is different. It is giving glory to a being who deserves all of this and so much more. And so certainly Sunday morning is the pinnacle of our worship. And yet, our adoration must happen throughout the week, throughout the day, throughout every second of our lives, learning to adore Him through our trust and obedience. Adoration is really the chief purpose of man. It's why the mission statement starts with adore. And the word all starts with A. But we've got to start with worship. If we get worship wrong, you're going to get everything else wrong. It's what we're created to do. Psalm 29.2 Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Nathan was right last week. God is self-sufficient. We can't give Him anything. He has everything. And yet, this psalm says give Him worship. So what gives? Can we or can't we give Him anything? Well, when we understand worship and adoration as glorifying God, God already is glorified. Whether we choose to worship Him or not will not subtract from His glory. We cannot add or subtract from God's glory. It's part of His essence, His being. Before He created anything, the Trinity perfectly adored itself. Imagine that. Hard to imagine, because if we apply it on a human level, it sounds utterly arrogant and ridiculous. Before Jennifer and I had any kids, we perfectly adored one another and no one else. Didn't need anyone. Now, that's very romantic, and on some level, I mean that. But if you said, hey, the three of us don't need anyone, or, you know, my little personal trinity, we perfectly love one another and don't need anyone, we would say, that is, that is ridiculous. God created the heavens and the earth and filled it for the purpose of bringing glory to Him. And really, instead of giving glory, I like the word ascribe, which we see in the ESV, whereas the King James says give, the ESV says ascribe. 
You're acknowledging. We're acknowledging what is already true about God, that He is worthy of glory and praise. We are the moon. He's the sun. We are just reflecting His light back to Him and to the world. We don't radiate the glory. We don't generate the glory. We just reflect the glory when we live lives of righteousness and holiness and our sin isn't eclipsing God's uh, glorious light. So the church ought to kind of be like the moon. And we had a full moon last night, I think, because I took the dog out one last time and didn't need a porch light on, right? You know, it's like, wow, it is so bright. That light's coming from the sun. The moon did not generate that light. We are not giving light to God. We are ascribing, wow, look at this God. He is worthy of praise. Not because we've defined Him as such, but because that's just who He is. Listen to uh, Jesus' words in John 17, 5, the high priestly prayer before He goes to the cross. He says, Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. So, here we are created to worship Jesus and He's saying, I had all the glory with you before the world was. MacArthur says, This is our supreme duty for time and eternity, to honor, adore, delight, and glorify, and enjoy God above all His creation, as He is worthy to be worshipped. I was trying to find... Uh, Just something on the internet, not something from any of my theological books. Uh, On this point of why we're directing all of our adoration to Jesus. Um, Yes, we're here to adore God and praise God in His fullness. You, You don't see in the Scriptures any praise directed at the Holy Spirit, and, and yet He is necessarily praised when we're directing praise to Jesus, because you cannot adore and glorify God without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It, It's false praise. It's directed by human pride. It's, I need to show up and go through the motions because it's my duty, or what will people think of me if I don't show up? Heartfelt praise, true worship of God, starts with the Holy Spirit. With putting your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, giving you a heart of praise. So I just kind of Googled worshiping Jesus Christ or being created to worship Jesus Christ and found this blog article. Just thought I would share it with you. I'm I'm not alone with this, and instead of just reading MacArthur quotes all day long, I really like this guy's perspective. His name's Dan Delzell. I don't know who he is. I didn't bother to look up more about him. Uh, But I agree with everything he says in this post. So let me read it to you. Do you know the main reason God created you? It wasn't so you could pursue that career or those hobbies or that five-year plan of yours. God created you to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man. You were made to praise His name. You may say, well, wait a minute, Dan. Christianity is not my religion, so it doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. You owe Jesus what everyone owes Him, your life and your allegiance. Whether or not you realize the fact that you owe Him your life is secondary. It is the truth, whether you know it or not. You can build your life on truth or continue building your life on the sinking sand of your personal opinions about God. So you may be a believer here today, but this applies to you too in the realm of evangelism. You are going to run into people who say, hey, that's good for you that you're all about Jesus, but that's not for me. You can say, no, it is for you. It's for everyone. He's your creator, whether you know it or not. Just as God's angels were created to worship Him, so were you, and so was I. He is not an earthly king, but the king of kings. He is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. This is the reality you were brought into by no choice of your own. But here you are. And there He is, as the one who put you here. 
The angels didn't choose to be created, and neither did you. But it is what it is. Therefore, you would be wise to accept reality rather than to live in denial. But I don't want to worship him, you might say. Well, of course you don't. And you never will, on your own, that is, until you receive an impartation of his spirit, his spirit of praise. Do you know who I am talking about? I am referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. When he comes to dwell inside of you, your inner being becomes a cathedral of praise. Right? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You literally become a new person with new priorities and with a spirit of praise in your heart for your king. It's not like you even have to be told to do it. It just starts to happen naturally, or should I say, supernaturally. You can resist the Holy Spirit, or you can yield to Him. You can dig in your heels, or you can repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can continue to live without any of this, or you can surrender your will and emotions to all of it. You absolutely need Christ's forgiveness. But that fact in itself does not guarantee that you will bow your knee to His majesty, or at least not yet. One day, everyone will bow before Him. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. If you are currently refusing to bow before Jesus and surrender to His Lordship, you are one of many people in that same predicament. Human pride resists receiving God's spirit of praise. Human arrogance praises the achievements of man instead. It is so natural for man to worship himself, it is so supernatural for man to worship God. And I would add that even as believers, it's so easy to worship self. So easy to praise the achievements of man. So easy to say, well, yes, I have God to get me out of hell. But when it comes to my own personal happiness and fulfillment, I will be my own Lord. Yet the same God who would give His Son to die for you certainly would not withhold any good thing from you. As Matt read from Ephesians, who has laid up for us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. There isn't anything happier than that. And so I'm preaching maybe to an unbeliever here this morning. Maybe there is one. Most here, though, are are believers who have pockets of unbelief. Pockets of unbelief. One day, all of us, all of who we are, mind, body, soul, spirit, as we say in the mission statement, all of us will worship and adore God. But we're not supposed to just wait for that day to come. We begin in the process of sanctification where we allow our Lord and Savior into every nook and cranny of our heart, cleaning out every last vestige of sin. learning to joyfully trust Him and obey Him in everything that He has for us, even if everything inside of us is screaming, no, this will make me happier. No, this will be better for me. This is what it means to worship and adore Jesus, to trust Him with everything, with joy. He says, this all points to the fact that you need a supernatural encounter with the living God. You need a transformation. There is not a single one of us who is capable of worshiping God in spirit and truth unless the Holy Spirit first comes to take up residence in our soul when we trust Jesus to be our Savior. That's when the true praise begins, and it just starts to flow like a waterfall. There is not one of us who is so super spiritual that we just start to do that on our own. It doesn't work that way. We need an impartation of the Holy Spirit. A divine exchange is needed. You hand God your sin and your life, and He freely forgives you and gives you Christ. He gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside you. It takes a miracle, but 
Those miracles are happening all over the world. Right now, thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. Right this second. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe in this room. Like Matt said, maybe today will be somebody's special date in history. December 7th, my true birthday. Will you become one of them or will you say no to Jesus? I won't praise you. I won't worship you. I won't confess my sin to you. And I don't want to enter into a relationship and a friendship with you. Sound familiar? You know people like this? Maybe even family? Just because you were created to worship Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you got the memo. Or that you will even graciously respond to his kind offer. If you don't want him in your life, there will be plenty of others who will gladly receive what you are so determined to reject. I really hope and pray you meet him today, my friend. There is nothing like having a relationship with the very one who created you, body, soul, and spirit, you won't know what that waterfall of praise on the inside is like until God places it in your soul. And the only person standing in the way of that cathedral of praise is you. No wonder we needed Jesus to die for us. We are so incredibly stubborn and self-reliant and so resistant to allowing God to save us from ourselves. Go figure, he says. You know what? I just noticed it does say something about this author. Dan Delzell is the pastor of Wellspring Lutheran Church in Papillion, Nebraska. Go Lutherans. I was raised Lutheran. Genuine worship, then, genuine adoration is the spirit-prompted response to divine truth. Jesus said... God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth, the Holy Spirit in us activates our spirit to respond to the gospel with adoration and praise. On my whiteboard in my office, Nathan and I wrote, You can't adore Jesus without learning from Jesus. Because who are you adoring? You can't make up a God in your head and then adore that God. Well, you can. In fact, we do it all the time. We need to know who God is, and He's revealed Himself to us through His Word. But without His Spirit, we wouldn't even listen to His Word. You also can't love like Jesus without learning from Jesus. So I don't want to preach Nathan's sermon for him, but the learning part is so critical. You get the scriptures wrong, everything else you're going to get wrong. We must learn from Jesus so we know who and how we are adoring. Who am I adoring and how does he want to be adored? Isn't that what marriage is like? This person you're supposed to adore, not worship, but love and adore. How can you love someone if you don't know who they are and what they're like? And so you get to know the person. God wants you to, to know Him. Get to know Him. The more you know about Him, the more you will want to adore Him. I guarantee it. If you're not feeling like adoring Jesus, you don't know Him well. Get to know Him better. When we say we're all about Jesus and we're here to adore Jesus, we are saying we are a group of believers. We're a group of believers. That's what unites us. We adore Jesus because we all have the same testimony. I was a great sinner. He's a great Savior. He deserves the adoration. I said earlier that there was a person concerned that we were ignoring the other members of the Trinity. We really want to put the focus on Jesus because right now there's a spiritual awakening in our country. However, it's all over the map. In fact, most people would say, "I'm, I'm all about God, just don't tell me about your Jesus. 
They're fine with with God in the public square as long as it's not Jesus and it's not the Jesus we find in this book. So mention the Bible, mention the Scriptures, mention Jesus, and that's a turnoff for most people. And persecution will come because of the name of Jesus. You can say God. You can say Spirit. But you say Jesus the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord, persecution will come. So we thought it best to put Jesus front and center in our mission statement. We will not bow the knee to the spirit of the age, but we will bow the knee to the spirit who points us to Jesus Christ as God, whatever that cost is. If you're not real good at articulating your faith, a good starting point when you get out there and people say, why do you go to Country Oaks? Say, we're all about Jesus. If that's all you can remember, that is a great place to start. In John 17, at high priestly prayer, Jesus said, uh, lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other places, he equates himself with the Father. If they have the Son, they have the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. So we will be all about Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have the whole Godhead, the door. Jesus said, I'm the door, I'm the gate. So no, we're not neglecting the other members of the Godhead. We've been instructed scripturally to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and He will point us to the Godhead. He will point us to the Father. Galatians 4, 6, Because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. By adoring Jesus, we are obeying the Spirit of Jesus in us, the third person of the Trinity. So you are indirectly adoring the Holy Spirit when you adore Jesus. It's what the Spirit is directing you to do. If you yield to it, are you not obeying and honoring the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? So we may not directly sing praises to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is empowering us and leading us and directing us to adore Christ. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Again, that confession that Jesus is God, that He is the Christ, the Son of God, is obedience to the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.9, For this reason also God highly exalted him. For what reason? The fact that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we do that, what happens? To the glory of of God the Father. So certainly we're here to glorify God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Scriptures uh, most specifically direct us as New Covenant saints to adore Jesus, and by doing so, we're encompassing the whole Godhead. You, You can't separate the persons of the Trinity. They are one. Three persons, one God. I have seen some churches' mission statements where they put all the focus on the Holy Spirit. All the focus on the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid that those churches may not be following the Holy Spirit. They may be listening to their own promptings. Listen to Jesus, the Word made flesh. What is the significance of this adoration? 
Why so important? Well, we already said this is the chief end of man. It's what we were created to do. But just to elaborate on that, adoration unifies the church. We are certainly a church of individuals, all kinds of backgrounds, um, heritage, different ethnicities, different traditions. And yet there's one thing that unifies us all. We're here to adore God, to adore Jesus, to give praise and glory to God for all eternity. In fact, all creation was made for this purpose. And it is part of redemptive history that God is bringing us back to a place where all creation will praise His name to exist for the glory of God. Revelation 5.13, And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Look at that statement. Every created thing in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, on the sea, all things, that's pretty much everything, right? All for the purpose of of singing praises to the Lamb. COBC is diverse. The church universal is diverse. Creation is diverse. Unified in our adoration of Jesus Christ, who created all things for Him, by Him, through Him. Philosophers have struggled for hundreds of years about this balance between diversity and unity. In fact, the original universities were supposed to sum up all diversities. Of course, now what do they do? It's all about diversity, different opinions, different truth. It's a people will pay $100,000 to go and be told that whatever you want to be true is true. That's a lot of money. I'll just, I could tell you for free right now, but it's wrong. Um, I'll, I'll spare you the, uh, the student loans. The original universities, Harvard, that, that great Puritan university designed for people to come and tie up all knowledge into one volume to make sense of all reality from God's revelation. And so, how do we stay individuals and not lose our identity, but but stay unified? Churches break up into, they split. We have multiple denominations and all these uh, different churches. Because there's diversity in the church. But what ought to unify Christians is adoration of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so it's okay that we have different Christian churches up here on this, this hill, but I love when we're able to get together and adore Christ together. But it is important, that, that diversity. We, we might interpret some of the Scriptures a little bit differently, but as long as we're coming back to the Scripture as our starting point, we will find unity. Here within, the own, within our own church, there's great diversity But not in key doctrines, I hope. Not in key doctrines. Those core doctrines of the faith are what unify us. So adoration is both individual and corporate. We built that in to the mission statement. Because there's that section that says you should adore Him with all of who you are, And then specifically on Sunday, this is how we adore Him. Some people are all about Sunday and then don't adore God the other days of the week. And other people say, well, I adore Jesus seven days a week. I don't need the church. They're both wrong. 1 Peter 2.5, you also, and this you is plural in the Greek, my southern friends, y'all, 
Also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, it takes lots of stones, each one of us a stone. God is building us all together into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, the priesthood of all believers here, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We could have looked at other passages. We could have seen Paul talk about us as a body and how every member is important for a body to function. Christ is head of the body, and he's the chief cornerstone of the building. So whatever biblical metaphor we choose, again, Christ is central. He's the one that unifies all of our diversity. He gave us the gifts. He made us all differently. He has a different plan and purpose for each of us. But there's one central plan and purpose that is for all of us, adoration of Christ. I will read a quote from this book that I I really liked. It says, Although it is intensely personal, there is nothing self-centered about genuine worship. If believers are to maintain a consistent lifestyle of continuous worship, hear this, if you are going to maintain a Deuteronomy 6, a love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength lifestyle of worship, they need the fellowship and encouragement of other believers as they assemble for group worship. Individual worship and corporate worship feed each other. So on the one hand, I need the fellowship of the saints. On the other hand, the community of saints needs me to live a consistent life of worship. My sin drags you down and your sin drags me down. Your holiness builds me up. My holiness builds you up. The source of most of the problems people have in their Christian lives relates to two things. Either they are not worshiping six days a week with their life, or they are not worshiping one day a week with the assembly of the saints. We need both. Amen. If you go to church only when it is convenient, you will never be very fruitful as a Christian. You can't thrive spiritually on your own. You need to have the spiritual stimulation of fellow believers. And so in our mission statement, we talk about community groups, our ABF groups, our small groups. We meet together corporately for worship, but we need to also meet for Bible studies together and do ministry together. It's the together part where the rubber meets the road and the sanctification really hits high gear. I need you to challenge me You need me to challenge you. As iron sharpens iron, right? You can't thrive spiritually on your own. You need to have the spiritual stimulation of fellow believers. Jesus would go off in the morning and pray to his Father alone, and then he'd come back and jump into the fray. He said, when you pray, don't pray loud prayers out loud in front of everyone. Like the Pharisees, go to your prayer closet and pray individually. And then the disciples said, well, how do we pray? And he said, our Father, not my Father who art in heaven, our Father. It's individual, it's corporate, it's both. We live in such an easy-come, easy-go, casual, flippant society that people don't make consistent, faithful commitments And then they wonder why they fail. The answer is clear. Our spiritual growth and stability cannot flourish without the support and mutual encouragement of other Christians. He gives this illustration of a pastor who goes to visit a man who hadn't been attending church regularly and then makes one of those home visits, probably unannounced. Well, they didn't have email and text back then. This was an older story here. Knocks on the door and he comes in and he sits with the old man by the fire pleading with him to come to church. And the old man says, I don't need to come to church. I just sit here and I adore God and we have a beautiful thing going on and why would I want to go ruin it by being around other people? So the pastor reached for the tongs and began to separate all the coals in the fireplace. And they began to go cold. 
And he said, that's what's happening in your life, he told the man. As soon as you isolate yourself from God's people, the fire goes out. And so when we say we're all about Jesus and we're going to adore Jesus, that is an individual and a corporate enterprise. By the way, adoration is also the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That is adoration. In case you need a a picture of what that kind of adoration looks like, I present to you the football fanatic or any sports fanatic. Their whole Facebook page is nothing but stuff about their team. And they know every player, every trade. They know how far they are before they go over the salary cap. They know who they're playing, what the defense is, what the offense is. In fact, I could get off my couch and walk into the TV screen and grab the playbook from the coach and and probably do a better job. I'm excited when they win. I'm depressed for days when they lose. I will spend $150 a month to get the right package on my TV so I can see the game that I want to see. I may even spend thousands to go to a game and sit in a stadium and cheer for the object of my adoration. I may even go in minus degree weather with no shirt with the name of the object of my adoration painted on my chest. So certainly we know how to do this adoration thing. We could replace sports with singers, celebrities, whatever hobby, you know. I'm not alive unless I'm golfing. I live for that. I live for fishing. I live for vacation. I live for whatever it is. If it's not I live for Jesus, you're adoring the wrong thing. None of these things can offer you anything lasting. Jesus is a person, an eternal being. So shift your adoration from these things to Jesus. Adoration is also the Great Commission. When we think Great Commission, we think, oh, we've got we to win souls for Christ, and we've got to get the gospel to as many people as we can, and all of this is true. But the whole purpose of missions, as we read from John Piper a few weeks ago, and I'll quote him again, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Adoration is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. God wants to make adorers of all the nations. Everybody's made to worship, and everybody's worshiping something or someone. God belongs in that rightful place. Jesus Christ. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship or adoration abides forever. So then, if we understand what adoration is and why it's significant, what will get in the way? Pride. Pride is... Nothing more than self-worship. I am my own Lord and Savior. That that is what pride says. Or, I don't need a Lord and a Savior. I'm doing just fine. The two things all human beings like to have to say the least. I'm not in charge, and I was wrong. I'm not in charge, and I was wrong. The only time we like to say I'm not in charge is when there's a lot of work to do. But we want the prerogative of deciding how things ought to go. This is what led Satan to fall. A created being, an angel created to glorify God. Isaiah 14.12, theologians uh, most believe this alludes to the fall of Satan, though in the immediate context it's talking about an earthly king. But at some point, as all of Isaiah's prophecies, it's, it's, it's now, it's now, oh, we're talking about something else. 
How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I I will be God. And God casts him down out of heaven, and we, we see him again in the garden tempting the pinnacle of man's creation, man and woman, made in God's image. Made to worship God, adore Him, and, and delight in Him. And, and so much when I read Genesis 1 and 2, and by the way, your 9 a.m. kids are in Genesis 1, the ABC curriculum starting now in Genesis 1. Paradise. Perfection, walking with God in the cool of the morning, perfect fellowship with God, no sin, no suffering, no disease. It's what we all yearn for in heaven. Paradise lost will be paradise found. And I'm, I'm contrasting the kind of rebellion we see from Satan, Isaiah 14.12, with the kind of rebellion we see in Genesis 3. A more subtle rebellion, but no less rebellious, no less sinful. And I submit to you, mostly as believers, our rebellion tends to be more subtle. And it, it looks like this. God said, you can enjoy me forever, just trust me. Am I not trustworthy? I'm a good God. I've given you everything. I've given you life, everything you need to be happy. Most of all, I've given you myself, the the greatest thing I can give you. And he asks man and woman just not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's so subtle. We don't see this, well, how dare you tell me I can't do something. It's so subtle. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. Hey, it's good for food. Hey, food's good. And a delight to the eyes. Look how pretty. How pretty things are good. God's made creation for us to enjoy, right? Right? And desirable to make one wise. Hey, being wise is good. Just not being wise in your own eyes. And yet, was God clear about what the penalty would be? Was it a brief time out or a small punishment? No, it was death. It can't get any worse than death. And so you and I are faced with these decisions every day. Will I worship God and adore God or will I listen to self? Will I worship God and adore God and trust God or will I listen to self? And self is telling me doing the very thing that God says will bring death will actually enhance my life. It'll bring me a little more happiness. And we forget that God said, no, not only will it not bring you happiness, it will bring you death. Separation from me. Misery. Wake up. Adoration of self never leads to anything good. Adoration of God leads to eternal joy and peace and deep satisfaction. But she took from its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And they went from being naked and unashamed to immediately realize they were naked and ashamed, and they hid from God. You can't adore God when you're hiding from Him. And so I submit to you the greatest stumbling blocks we are going to find as believers in our church are the more subtle ways that pride attacks. Hard to worship God when you're angry and dissatisfied because your expectations haven't been met. Because you think God is holding back. Because you think the road to happiness leads through disobedience instead of trust and obedience. And so we understand also that the gospel is is the solution. And we understand the gospel, that's how I get saved, that's how I get out of hell. 
And yet the gospel is certainly no less than that, but it's so much more than that. And as a church, we need to learn how to apply the gospel and take it deep down to those dark places where there's still fig leaves, where we're still hiding from God. Anyone like having their fig leaves removed here? No. No, not, not at all. And yet, ironically, it's like it's not a fig leaf, it's like poison ivy. It's making us miserable, and yet we're like, but don't pull it away. I'm scared to see, you know, to, to be exposed. And the gospel says you must humble yourself and expose yourself before God, but you can trust Him. He already sees right through the fig leaves. He knows where your deepest hurts are, your deepest fears, your deepest sins. Is it fear of man? Is it coveting? Is it greed? Is it laziness? Is it the fear of is it uh, comfort? Power? The reason for the Matthew 18 sermon is because God knows what those fig leaves are. And in all honesty, everyone around you knows what they are too. We're usually the last one to admit what it is. And so the Matthew 18 sermon was a way to realize I need my fig leaves removed, you need yours removed. Be gentle. Be humble. Be loving about it. Worship of God leads to joy. Worship of self leads to misery. If you want to know how you're doing in your worship of God, joy is always comes after worship of God. True, deep, heartfelt worship of God leads to these, this indescribable joy people have that can't be taken away from them. In spite of their circumstances, I see people with this deep love, adoration of Jesus, with one, some of the hardest lives I've ever seen. And they're just so filled with joy that can only be a supernatural thing. And then we'll see others with superficially a great life and no joy, just misery. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the offspring of Adam and Eve, are instructed to adore God. Well, how do we adore you? I want you to bring a sacrifice to me. You know, well, we could sit here and and say, well, why should I waste an animal? God doesn't need animals. He doesn't eat. You know, And we do this. We justify all the reasons why it'd be ridiculous to obey God's commands. But this is what he's asking of us. He asked Cain and Abel for a sacrifice, and he accepted Abel's and did not accept Cain. And Cain was very angry because he brought the wrong sacrifice. Not because God didn't accept them. He needs to to get, get his story straight here. This is a reasonable God, a loving God, a gracious, merciful God. Bring a humble sacrifice of obedience and God will be happy with you and you will experience peace and joy and community with God and relationship with God. But it says he was very angry and his face fell and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? I love that. Why has your face fallen? We know what that looks like. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Self-worship won't lead to the happiness Cain was looking for. It will lead to misery. Sin gets entrenched. It gets a stronghold. It gets worse, the anger gets worse, the frustration gets worse, and now there's no worship of God. I can't worship Him because I'm not happy. I want you to pray for someone in our flock whose name does not need to be told publicly, although in Matthew 18... That would be where we are. 
pray for someone. God knows who it is. They have followed this path. They are Cain. They are angry. They are bitter. They are unhappy. And they think happiness lies down the path of flagrant disobedience to God's commands at the expense of everything, family, children, most of all, relationship with God. So at this time, the name's not important to be given publicly. Plenty of people in the church know who this is, and God is dealing with it in that way. But I am asking and coveting your prayers because the person no longer wants to come to church, come to counseling, go to God's Word, anything. It's a sad, scary place to be, but God's a God of miracles. God's a God of miracles. And oh, what a miracle we could see this Christmas season. Pray fast. Ask the God for mercy. The other stumbling block is religion. Religion. Religion is not adoration. Religion is going through the motions. Fine, if God wants these sacrifices, I'll bring these sacrifices. I don't know why, but I'm going to do it. Or, hey, look at me. I'm really good at bringing the sacrifices. I tithe. 10.0%, not a penny more, not a penny less. That is not done from a heart of love and a heart of gratitude and a heart of thanksgiving. So... Be on the lookout for religious activity that is not adoration. It doesn't mean stay home and don't obey God because I'm not going to be one of those Pharisees and hypocrites. That's wrong too. Obey God out of your trust for Him and who He is, who He is, what He's done. He is good. He's worthy of adoration and praise. He's worthy to be trusted and obeyed. Matthew 15, 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And the only thing that's going to bring our heart close to Jesus is the gospel. I put a lot of scripture up there. I don't have time to read. If you email me, I will send you these slides. You can read these scriptures, dwell on them at home. I want to wrap up by having us really Consider the gospel, not just the gospel that saved me from hell. It's definitely that. But it's the gospel that will change me into a worshiper, someone who gives adoration to Jesus. If, if your heart right now is one that says, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and you don't have joy you don't have adoration in your heart, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Go back on your knees, go to the Scriptures, go to the Lord in prayer and say, show me where I am wrong, God. Show me. If you sent your Son to die for me, that kind of love, there's nothing like it in this universe. I should be filled with adoration. Help me turn and repent from all all the other things in my life that I am chasing after to find happiness and replace it with Christ and adoration for Him so I can be filled with joy. So I can enjoy this life you've given me whereby bringing you the adoration you deserve. Let's pray. Lord God, we adore You. You are our Lord and Savior. You are the perfect one, the beautiful one, the chosen one. You humbled yourself and became a man, lived a perfect life for us, died in our place on the cross, rose again, giving us newness of life through faith in you. What a gift. That alone would be enough for us to adore you for all eternity, and you're that and so much more. Help us to see where pride is robbing you of the glory 
and adoration you deserve. Help us, through the gospel, to turn from self-adoration, thinking we know best what will bring us happiness. Instead, listening to you, trusting you know best what will bring us joy, everlasting peace, and deep, deep satisfaction in you. Do this so that Country Oaks will be a place where people say, if that's what being all about Jesus is, then that's what I want. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.